Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I want to not waste time uh, because I want to really try and complete this thought today by God's grace. I said, God, help me finish this thought. The thought is... We were dealing with kingdom economics. We are dealing with kingdom economics under the broad heading of grace. And I said you cannot discuss grace outside of discussing kingdom economics for the simple reason that Paul the Apostle, in his exploration of the grace of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, referenced benevolent Uh, generous and liberal giving in his discussion of the same referenced grace in two chapters seven times so he references seven times the word grace in two chapters discussing finance second corinthians chapter 8 and second corinthians chapter 9 and up to this point i demonstrated to you that if you have claim to grace grace by nature seeks and beckons to give out from itself. I challenge you that every time you do give, you give from a grace-enriched position, and you don't give from a graceless position. The graceful man knows how to give. And I, I looked at this in 2 Corinthians 8 with the Macedonian example. The church at Macedonia had huge grace on them, and Paul says from deep poverty, they were able to give with great liberality according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, they were able to give. I then also used several Old Testament case studies where I demonstrated to you that many people did this. They, from a grace position, were able to give way beyond what natural conditions dictated that they should, but being aware of a principle, tapped into it, and could give from grace I also demonstrated this to you that every time those persons did it, they accessed more grace. And I said to you that giving is a powerful principle for grace increase. And the scripture says we must grow in grace. Multiplied grace, Peter said, be to you. One of the ways to grow in grace is to give. Okay, and giving is a key for grace. I then said in reference to where we are presently, that you must give gracefully, and recently, that you must give truthfully, that being the opposite of giving hypocritically. So don't give with hypocrisy, or don't give lying. Don't give playing the part. On the study on Wednesday, I went through great lengths explaining the term hypocrite comes from the Greek hypocrisis, denoted a an actor on a stage playing a part with a mask. He held a mask or the mask was attached to his face and there was a mechanical device at the mouthpiece to amplify the voice. So if people came to watch the play, he would the capacity without microphones in that dispensation to project his voice further. Okay, So a hypocrite is a person that plays a part that they are not really in real life. They are playing a part. You know, we get the word crisis from the latter part of hypocrisis. So the, the hypocrite is in an identity crisis. He's presenting one image that is not true of him, of himself. And I challenge you in this season, for some reason God led us to hypocrisy on Wednesday. But I think it was the Lord. Because Ananias and Sapphira gave, remember? They gave proceeds of the sale of their land, and they put it at the apostles' feet, but their giving wasn't done truthfully. It was done hypocritically. They really were simply playing the part. And how many know you can be obedient with a wrong motivation to bolster up your spiritual reputation in the eyes of brethren? Right? We obey not to please men. We obey to please 
to please God, right? So the motivation was wrong, but also the representation of the offering was wrong. Because they presented as though it were the total proceeds of the sale, whereas the Bible says they sequestrated. That is the Greek term. They kept back. They deliberately robbed God and presented a false picture of the value of the offering. The offering was both deficient in value and in motivation. For this, they were killed in its early days. Hmm? It's early days in the book of Acts. Profound things are happening in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Church is born. There's great commonality. There's great oneness. There's great grace. Scripture says towards the end of chapter 4, verse 32, was upon them all. Wow, wonderful things are happening. And then like a contrary set of events, Acts 5, verse 1. And the nice sense of our giving and death in the house. Death in the church, from such, it, it cuts against the grain of the flow of everything that was happening in chapter 3 and chapter 4. A sudden severe judgment of the Lord in chapter 5. And the Lord said this to me, He's intent on purifying the house. While a process is at its incipient stages, God doesn't wait for Acts 15 and Acts 20 to deal with the matter. God in Acts 5 deals with it. Because while the thing is still developing, while the church is gaining strength and momentum, he snuffs out error and hypocrisy at the start of a process, lest if left unattended, that thing grows to a formidable strength. Yeah? So that is why I, I want to encourage you. If you've been feeling awkward recently, it is the Lord dealing with you. Hmm? It, if you're feeling convicted about these things, it is the Lord's dealing with you. But do you know God's dealings with us are never for judgmental punishment? God's dealings with us are never to exclude, but to always include. When we use the word terms like judge, we think negative. When God judges, His purpose is to refine you because He loves you. So the Hebrew says even the discipline of the Lord is because He, he loves us. Which of you who are, who are parents... When your child acts waywardly, don't discipline them. So anytime you, you feel the, the, the conviction of the Lord about a spiritual matter, it is God's way of saying to you, see how much I love you. I want you to get your act together. Yeah. Even, even the, the, the text that Sean read, when we examine ourselves, examination is not for exclusion. When God says examine yourselves, He's not saying so that you can be excluded from the process. Your examination is for inclusion. Come on, tell that to someone. Examination is for inclusion. Right now, God is examining our financial obedience. And the whole intent of God is saying, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Come on, my sons. Because it's, I want to include you in a bountiful process of harvest that I have for you. That's all God is saying. And then on Wednesday, I mentioned to you that young men took Ananias and Sapphira out of the house and buried them. And we started on Wednesday what Ralph Elia ministered to us, which he called the lad principle. So young men extracted the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira from out of the house. And symbolically applied, it was young men, it was lads, it was young men that extracted that hypocritical spirit attendant with giving from out of the house. And I said we can apply this in two respects. Number one, young men, young people must be taught spiritual principles as quickly as possible. Right? We cannot wait until they are old to start looking at how we are going to impart to them. Usually when they are old, they have made the mistakes and you respond reactively, correctively to try and remedy a wrong done. Whereas if you impart to them while they are yet young, you prevent their, makes, their, their making of mistakes that sometimes in your bid to correct the mistake made when they are older, it takes so much time, so much energy, causes so much heartache. You would rather impart to them while they are yet young. Okay? And I would like all of our young people here to really honor the Lord in all that you do, in all that you say. You're going to be saving yourself a whole lot of heartache and pain years to come. Okay, 
do the young men. It wasn't apostles or old men that extracted the bodies. It was young men. That's one application. The second application is this. Young men or lads, we can reference not in respect to chronological youngness, but to a spiritual symbolic principle of they were lads. And in terms of what Ralph ministered to us, he said, a Jewish lad, a Jewish young man, na'ah is the Hebrew term, would be in Jewish culture today, they celebrate the bar mitzvah. Bar means son, mitzvah, commandment, son of the commandment. I said this to you, more than it being applied to young men chronologically, we're going to apply it to a principle of which we call the lad principle in the spirit. And the principle is this. It is those, the term lad applies to those who have become sons of the commandment, sons of the word. You bind yourself to the word no matter what. If the word says it, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. If God's word teaches it, I will obey it. And more than becoming a spiritual son to Randolph, who is your spiritual father, you are really not my son. You are God's son. God the Father is your, is your true father. And your sonship is to him is, is, is validated by the degree to which you can bend the knee and say, God, I'm willing to bow my knee to your word. Your word says it. I will do it. I won't even compromise, rationalize, negotiate, or argue in my mind. It's then that sonship is validated. It's then that is the acid test of sonship. Jesus in John 8 said to the Pharisees, You say that you are Abraham's sons and Abraham's seeds. If therefore, he said, you be Abraham's seeds, do the works. Right? So works validate identity. If you claim an identity, you're a son to, to God, a son to this person, then demonstrate it by your behavior. Okay? Your behavior will corroborate the claim verbally. And what I'm seeing in the church presently is a lot of verbal claim, but very, very little behavioral validation. You don't behave what you claim and validate that by how you act. Okay? Um, your, 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 your life must match your words. Your words must testify and be expression to what you've mouthed. Okay? What you've mouthed. In fact, if we apply this principle strictly, then some of us will disqualify as sons. Yeah? If you love me, Jesus said, do my word. Keep my, keep my commandment. You can sing a beautiful love song in worship and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if in life you're not obeying the commandment of the Lord, that claim that your mouth is invalidated by a, a, a lifestyle that disqualifies the claim. Okay? Now, I am determined that any form of hypocrisy must be extracted from the house. Of recent, I fasted on Thursday and Friday. Amongst the many things I wrote down that the Lord said to me was this, want my glory back. Too much flesh is glory in my presence. Right? Hence, I send to you that note about the table of the Lord. Right? God must get the glory. Jesus Christ must be exalted. Right? And you know, we, we, we very subtly will not agree to this that we are eclipsing His glory. That it's become all about us now and not about Him. Well, the moment you cross that, the moment you cross that, God is not obliged to endorse any of your activity with His grace or anointing because He knows it's all for you and not me. The moment I arises in you, the I am will vacate. Right? The moment there's too much I in you, He who is the great I am, is under no obligation to support or condone or back anything con concerning you that is designed to build up your image, your reputation. So I'm begging the church today, die and die successfully. Die quickly. God wants His glory back. If you do anything with impure motivation to accrue credit or uh, coverage unto yourself, you must check your heart. Say, God, I'm sorry. It's become about me and not about, and not about you. You'll be surprised how that in reference to financial giving, that this is the case. I've seen it over and over and 
again. So everyone say the lad principle. What's the lad principle? The son that bends his knee come hell or high water to the command of the Lord. For in obeying the command of the Lord, he seeks to endorse or validate his sonship in God. On Wednesday, I went through the example of Isaac. Remember in Genesis right, 22, when Abraham was taking him up to kill the boy, right? What did Abraham say to the young men? He said to the young men at the bottom of the mountain, you young men stay here. And he uses this term, the lad and I will go up and we will worship the Lord there. There was no worship team. There was no keyboards on top of the hill. There was no drums. Abraham's concept of worship wasn't performance. Abraham's concept of worship was to kill the thing I love the most. Kill my boy. Unless you're willing to kill the thing you love the most, you haven't truly worshipped. Most people love ourselves the most. Unless that dies, worship hasn't started. Hmm? Come on, tell someone, kill the thing you love the most. And I sense the Lord speaking here. Lay down your Isaac, right? Lay down your ambition. Lay down the, the, the attempt to accrue um, points or credit unto yourself and build up your own re reputation and image. I am telling you, brethren, this is serious. God will lift his hands off us. I'm dead serious. God will lift his hands off us if this dimension of pride is seen amongst us. Right? It must die. Come on, tell someone it must die. I'm very serious about this. I wasn't planning to fast this week. God interrupted my whole plan and said, you, you seek me. This is the first thing God spoke to me. Too much of I'm smelling flesh in the house. I'm, I'm smelling uh, vanity. I'm smelling personal ambition. I will, God said to me, I will lift my hands off you if you don't deal with this. So as a leader to you, I'm, I'm informing you of the word of the Lord. Yeah? I warned you about hidden sin and doing things behind the closet when no one out of somebody's view. I chatted to someone um, that said, wow, you heard recently, yesterday, wow, you heard right because of X, Y, Z. Someone phoned, we had a chat last night. You've heard right because of X, Y, Z. So I'm very, I needed that call last night because I thought I was being overly reactive. But let me tell you, I know I'm hearing God. I know God is speaking. And we have to heed the call. Put your personal ambition on the back burner. Humble yourself. Remain pure. Seek to please God in all that you do and say, if it's about you, God says, this is a warning to you, church. And I'm very serious when I say this. The Lord says to us now, if from this point onwards, after you have heard what you heard, it's still about you. God is saying, I will lift my hands off of you. I will lift it off because I'm dead serious that in all you do, you seek to give me glory. You seek to give me honor. Yeah? So tell your neighbor, die successfully. You see, Isaac represented Abraham's hopes and dreams. Not so? God said to him, you'll be a father of many nations. Yeah, Isaac comes. And God said to him, take your son, your only son, whom you love. You know, God has a way of rubbing things in. He says, take your son, comma, your only son, comma, whom you love. Kill the boy. Go to a mount that I will show you. Sacrifice him on the top of that mount. Could God give, could God have given Abraham another son after Isaac to make him become a father of many nations? No. That wasn't part of the plan. You know why Romans 4 says, in Isaac shall your seed be. By the way, did he have another son? Who was he? Ishmael. But God, when God said to Abraham concerning Isaac, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Abraham did not correct him and say, oh, by the way, he's not the only son. Remember the other guy? From God's perspective, Ishmael was not a son of promise. That's why God said to Abraham, take your only son. God did not reckon Ishmael as the son of promise because Ishmael was produced in the flesh. Right? So what you produce in your flesh, here's a lesson. God will not validate nor recognize. 
right? God's grace and mercy is abundant because he was still gracious to Ishmael. Remember? In the desert. And there's still a plan for that nation that was formed from his loins. There's a wonderful plan of God, I believe, afoot to redeem the Islamic race. But when God said to Abraham, take your son, only son. And remember I said this to you. He produced Ishmael as Abraham. Genesis 17 or thereabouts or earlier. How did he produce Isaac as Abraham? The insertion of the fifth letter into the name of Abraham from Abraham to Abraham represents an insertion of grace. Grace produced Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Laughter is an outcome of grace. Isaac it will be the embodiment of the grace of God, right? So listen carefully. It says clearly, the boy goes up with him to worship, but other young men stayed at the bottom. So from young men, it won't say young men, from, from the descriptor young men, amongst the young there is the lad that chooses to walk with his father to a place where he's willing to lay it all down at the command of the father. And Isaac was, was young, Abram was old, he could have rebelled, but he permitted his father, he laid his life down to tie him up as a lad. What, everyone say the lad. So the lad principle is, I will lay it all down. I'm a son of the commandment. I'm not going to do anything to try and preserve my life, my reputation, or anything. I'm willing to sacrifice it all, lay down my ambition, lay down my agenda to, to please God's voice as it's reflected and expressed in the voice of my father here. I will walk with him to the place of total death, obedience unto death, total sacrifice. And as the knife went up and came down upon his chest, what did God say? Abram, Abram, call his name twice. Why would God call a name twice? It means Abram was so intent, he was willing to go through. We're going to stab the boys in the heart. I can picture the knife up, about to plunge it in. Abram, Abram, wait. Now I know what's in your heart. God said to him, now I know what's in your heart. See, and he said this, because you have not withheld your only son. See, now I swear to my self. That's the irrevocable oath that God could not find any person higher by which to swear, Hebrews says, and he swore to him. So he says, now indeed I will bless you. You see, the, in Genesis 12, God said, I will bless you, make your name great, bless you. Uh, those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's Genesis 12. But Genesis 22, after an act of obedience, he says, see, now indeed I will not bless you. Greatly bless you. Check the wording out. Right? Greatly bless you. And you will become a father of many nations. But the lad principle, Isaac was there that laid down his life. Lay down his life completely. Now, please listen with the eye of the Spirit and the ear of the Spirit this morning. I'm not sure what the Lord is calling you to lay down in an area you need to die, an area you just need to assess, assess things. And say, God, I'm full of grace. I am Isaac. My name means laughter. But you are calling me to lay it all down. And when Isaac was prepared to do that, what did God say to Abram? I am Jehovah. Or Abram said to God, you are Jehovah. Hira, Jehovah Jireh. Provision was made manifest within the context of a lad laying it all down in obedience to God. Hmm? And I share this with you. That same lad, Isaac, I, I can just picture the scene. Eh? Abram tying, loosening him. From being tied up. Come, my boy. God has revealed himself to us as a provider. Come. You're a lad. That boy grows up. And I shared with you two scriptures, which I won't do now because of time. How that in a time of famine, he sows seed. And not the following year. Firstly, you don't sow seed in famine. You're wasting seed if you do that. But in the same year, he bears a hundredfold increase. A few verses down, the Philistines claim the wells that Abraham did. Doug, his father. They stopped it with earth, filled up the wells that Abraham dug in his time with soil. 
Isaac simply, the Bible says, and he went and he dug a well. And the Philistines claimed that as their well. And he called the name of the well, was it Sitna? Which means strife, contention. The Philistines says, our well. He says, no problem, take it. He wooed a little way and the Bible says, and he dug another well. And the water flowed. All in a season of famine, and water flowed. Philistines came to him and said, this is our well too. Didn't contend. The Bible says he called the name of that well, Essek, which means accusation and hated. Accusation and hated. And he doesn't contend for that. He simply goes. And the Bible says, I like the phrase, and he dug another well. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, just dig another well. It's, it's like, that's a good song. Dig another well. <laughs> and he dug another well. And dug another well. And the water flowed. And they did not contend. And the Bible says, and he called that well Rehoboth which means wide space, broad space, increase. What is happening with Isaac? The lad who embodied the lad principle, willing to give, give his life, he's literally living provision. He can sow seed, and seed sprouts bearing a hundredfold, because years earlier, as a lad, he became a seed that was willing to sow his life. When you become the principle you take any representation of the principle, you enact it, and it blossoms. It responds to what you are already. Don't sow seed till you become the seed. Hmm? Galatians speaks about Christ as a seed. Unless a seed falls to the ground and died, it abides alone. But if it dies, what does it say? It grows forth and bears forth much fruit. I am dead. Come on, just confess to someone I'm dead. I said to God, if needs be, but please don't test me in this, Lord. I said to you, I said, if needs be, I'll shut everything down if you ask me to. I'm prepared to walk away from it all. If you're going to cause me to die in certain areas, because when you die, you start to live. The moment you choose to die, you will live again. Amen? You will live again. Okay, now there was too much recapping. Right? Now I start. Just for half an hour, quickly. Um, I really want to get to, there's so much here. But I want to get to Benjamin's example as a lad. And how he gave of his life um, to the Lord. Okay? Go to Genesis chapter 43 from verse 8. Genesis chapter 43 and verse 8. You recall, Joseph was sold, hated by his brothers, Sold and taken down to the land of Egypt. He was 17 years old when he was sold. Um, there he suffered many things. The betrayal by Potiphar's wife. The lack of memory by the baker and the butler whose dreams he interpreted. And he is the forgotten dream interpreter in the prison. Eventually, he would become second to the Pharaoh because one day the butler suddenly remembered Joseph in prison because Pharaoh had a dream that needed interpretation for which none of the wise men in Egypt could interpret. And suddenly, God provokes the memory of the butler. Joseph is summoned. He interprets the dream and he gives wise counsel as to what the Pharaoh should do in reference to the dream. The Pharaoh so impressed. What? Not only... Do you have my attention? But I will make you second in charge to me. I'll make you prime minister. Minister of economics, second to me. And Pharaoh said this to him, you will ride on my chariot. Anywhere you go in Egypt, you ride on my chariot. He gave a very clear instruction. If Joseph is seen in public riding on my chariot, any Egypt, all Egyptians must bow to him. Joseph rises to great authority, rises to, to great rank. The famine ensues seven years of plenty, in which time he collects grain and he stores them in silos. The, the famine starts two years. The famine is going to be another seven years. One year the famine goes. Two year famine. Now it's in the second year of the famine where things in Canaan get bad. And Jacob decides to send the brothers down to Egypt to find, to find grain. But he keeps the land. Listen. He sends the brothers, keeps the lad back. Who's the lad? Benjamin. Benjamin, together with Joseph, would be Rachel's two boys, which 
wife did he love the most, Rachel or Leah? He loved Rachel first, right? And she, uh, 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 Leah would be, be him four, but Rachel bore him two. And, now this, and obviously, the boy is born to the woman he loved the most would receive his greatest attention. Remember the coat of many colors? Who wore that? Joseph, the firstborn of Rachel, right? The secondborn, Benjamin. Uh, uh, this is how Jacob's mind works. I lost a son to the woman I loved the most years before. We as a family and the brothers are in a severe crisis. The crisis is survival, no provision. I will send the brothers, because I hear there's grain in Egypt. I will send the brothers, but I won't send the lad. So, all in God's orchestration, obviously, right? So, the brothers, the brothers go, right? The brothers go. And Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize Joseph, okay? How many years has it been now? If you do the maths, this is too quickly. I haven't worked this out yet. But if Joseph was sold at 17 and he comes to power at 30, how many years is that? Uh, so, seven years of plenty. That's seven years. 20. Plus another two. 22 years have passed, right? When the brothers come in to buy land, they don't recognize Joseph. Obviously, he's looking very Egyptian now. He recognizes them, and he, he barrages them with a number of questions to establish honesty. Here's where I'm getting it. To establish truth. Say truth. Say honesty. Come on, say truth. Say honesty. Say sincerity. Say integrity. You see, Joseph represents provision. Joseph represents salvation. Joseph represents answer to the need. But he's not going to release his hand, nor his identity, until he first establishes truth in the brothers. So a series of questions. How many brothers are you, he asks. Let's see how truthful you are. They say 12. One is not, and the lad is with Papa. He said, okay, these guys are truthful because... 22 years ago, they were highly untruthful. Now they say, oh, these guys have changed, I see. Right? Does your father still live, he says. Yes, our father is old. Okay? And then he, he gives them, he says, no, you are spies. You have come to spy out the deficiency of the land of Egypt, our weak spots, so you can attack. So I imprison you. I incarcerate you. One of you will go back. Get your, your father and the lad to verify the truth of your, your statement. Locks them up for three days. After three days, he said, okay, all of you go back. I'll keep one back. Who does he keep back? Simeon. Benjamin's with the, with the father. He keeps back Simeon. What does Simeon mean? The name Simeon. Two? Yeah. So what is he incarcerating? What is he imprisoning? The capacity to hear God. Putting that in prison. He says, you go and you get Benjamin. And please know this, guys. Nobody here is seeing my face again unless Benjamin is with you. No one's going to see my Seeing my face means seeing my provision, seeing protection, seeing uh, preservation. No one's going to see my face unless Benjamin is, is with you. And so they go back and he instructs his servants. Oh, by the way, guys, let them go a little distance. But before they go... Put all the money that they paid for, the grain, put it back in their sacks. Hmm? And then when they come back to Jacob, then opening the grain, said, wow, each man's money is in his, in his sack. I long to do that. Right? Give your 20 rand back with your CD. <laughs> you know my heart. They're going to get there, brethren. I love the Joseph principle. He says, these are my bruise. No one's paying for anything yet. Let them pay for it, but secretly tell one of my closest officers, put the money back in the sack and let them go. Now, they find the money there, and they're traumatized. Because the Bible says Joseph spoke to them harshly. He's putting up this front of this autocratic ruler, serious taskmaster, right? And they beg the father. They tell the father, the man said, don't come back here unless Benjamin is... In fact, Reuben said that to his father. And, and, and Judah, uh, Jacob refused. He says, shall I be reaved of two of my kids? I had lost the one. Now you want the son at the right hand? No way, not on my life. And Reuben, the eldest, is 
he's trying to convince the father. So, I don't know how, many, how much time passed, but it says that, and the famine became worse. It got real bad. It's amazing. And then who comes up to the father? Who comes up to Israel? Notice, just go back one verse, Jody. Um, my memory serves me correct. Right? Here we go. Okay, next verse. Who speaks? You see, Jacob doesn't listen when Reuben speaks. But when Judah speaks, Judah is a representation of the apostolic spirit. To understand that statement, I will ask you to listen to Pastor Thamo's whole series on mantle of changing seasons. Why is the tribe of Judah amongst the twelve the most accurate representation of the apostolic spirit? Judah says, Judah is the fourth son of Leah. Right? Judah says to Papa, Send the lad. Everyone say, send the lad. He begs him. I want the lad principle in the company of the brothers. If this lad principle is not with us, we are kaputs. Right? Send the lad with me and we will arise and we and go that we might live and not die as well as you and as our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. Repeat that after me. I myself will be surety for him. And you might hold me responsible for him, right? If I do not bring him back to you, set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we would have returned twice. Judas arguing with, with his father. Then their father Israel said to them, You see, Jacob wants to hold on to the lad, but Israel wants to release the lad. If Jacob and Israel are the same person, the Jacob in the man wants to hold on, but the Israel in him has got greater prophetic comprehension and wants to release the land. But the release of the land of the lad is only based upon the commitment of a Judah kind of person. Judah says, I stand guaranteed for him. Whatever happens to him, be it on my head. What Judah is saying is, come hell or high water, I will protect this principle. I will protect this lad. I'm going to preserve it because in it, I know, is the pathway to our provision. Okay? Are you hearing in the spirit? Right? Are you hearing in the spirit? Uh, the father said to them, if it must be so, then do this. So this is what Jacob says. Take some of the best products of this land in your bags. Carry it down to the man as a present. A little balm, a little honey, aromatic gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. Take double the money in your hand. Double the money. Eh? Take double the money in your hand. Take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Now they're thinking, Joseph gave us so many questions. Maybe put the money back in our sacks to test our integrity again. So the father is very aware of this. He says, take the money back that he put in your sack. Now verse 13. Take your brother also. Uh, I like that statement. Say, take your brother also. The old message here, but I won't get to it now. Take your brother also, arise, return to the man, and may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man, so that he will release to you your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. So the men took the present, and they took double the money in their hand, and Benjamin, and they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. So they're back. I want to now decode a few principles. Could Benjamin have not acceded to his father's request to go with the brothers? He could. But in obedience to the father's command, he said, I will, I will go. He knows that I might never come back, especially knowing these brothers of mine. You know, brothers, they know what's happening, right? You sorted my other brother out, you know, the brother from another mother. Right? Same father, different mother. But uh, so I'm willing to go with you guys to the place where I can be presented to a source of provision. In other words, he is saying, I'm willing to give my life. I'm willing to pay the price. Again, I want to encourage you, it was the Father's wish that he goes after convincing from Judah that this must be the case. I stand here today as a Judah kind of principle before you, and I'm beckoning you as a father in the Lord as well. Come fully into the lad principle where you are prepared to obey God financially 
come hell or high water, whatever the cost. So I'm telling you this. I'll show you in a moment. There's a quality of provision awaiting brothers. You see, this provision is not singular. It's corporate. But in the brother dynamic, there must be the lad principle present very, 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 very strongly. Okay? Very strongly. Verse 16, the next verse. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, I want to read this because of time. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the house steward, Bring the men into the house, slay an animal, make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. They were never permitted in Joseph's house on the first visit. They are permitted into the house on the second visit because he saw Benjamin in the group. Obviously, Benjamin is his blood brother from the same mother. All the others are one of the same mother as him, but the same, the same father. But when he sees Benjamin, he says, everyone in the house. Everyone dines at my table at noon. And when the Lord told me this, God said, Randolph, if you only live the lad principle, if you only obey me, God says, there's a level of providence that you're about to enter into, not from the servants, not from Joseph's servants, but from Joseph's hand himself. Now you read that and you hear that in the spirit, how it encodes in your spirit. I'm saying to you in the spirit, read it and hear it spiritually. God is saying, no more will you stand outside. God's saying, I'm going to bring you into the treasure of the house now. Where you can sit at the table and feed sumptuously. Come on, uh, just bump your neighbor and say, can you hear it? I I want us to hear accurately. There's something I need you to hear. God is saying, no more out the house, you're coming in. Uh, God's going to do miracles financially. I'm convinced of it. There's a supply waiting to beckon. But unless the son of the right hand, what does Benjamin mean? Ben, son. Jamin, right hand. Benjamin, son of the, the right hand. Son of strength, son of authority. Where is Jesus seated right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father on, on high. The right hand position is a position of executive power, executive authority. I can feel this in my spirit as I speak about it. That there's an executive right, an authoritative power that God gives to us today, even as I speak this. And saying, my sons, my daughters, if you're simply coming to a place of total obedience, you don't know what power I'm about to reveal to you. What legislative, you decree a thing and it will happen. You're coming into the house to dine at Joseph's table. To dine at Joseph's table. Go to verse 23. He said, is it verse 23? Yeah. Be at ease. Do not, they were, they were terrified. Oh, by the way, when he said to them, come into the house, all fear gripped them. They thought, what now? Little did they know that they're coming into provision, not judgment. I want to say this to the house. I've been very hard with you recently because that is the mood of God I need to reflect to. You. But the hardness of the Lord is not for judgment. God is setting you up. God is positioning you for a flow of blessing and provision that's going to amaze you. So come on, just bump your neighbor and say, now is not the time to fear. Tell someone, do not be condemned. I don't want anyone feeling condemned here. God loves you. That's why he speaks to us. But God is trying to set you up for entrance into the house. Hallelujah. God is trying to set you for entrance. And notice what happens. He said, be at ease, not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you what? Treasure in your sex. He's saying that money I put back was God putting treasure in your sex. And I had your money. And he brought Simeon out to them. That was wonderful. He says, now the voice of the Lord's going to open up to you guys. Simeon, he represents the capacity to? Yeah. So the capacity to decode the voice of the Lord. When did Abraham hear God more definitively? Genesis 13, it says, now after Lot left Abraham, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Sometimes God's voice is amplified the moment things are put right in your life. Hallelujah. So uh, I want to encourage you. and I want to encourage all the church. God is always speaking to you. Every day he's talking to you. You must just fine tune your, your listening capacity. Just, and trust him. Trust him. 
Learn to discern the voice of the Lord as it comes to you. He's always, he's always speaking um, to us. So they're all sitting at the table, right? They're about to, um, he's about to feed them. I don't have time to read the whole passage. This is a fantastic narrative. The Bible says that never ever was it permitted that Egyptians would eat with Hebrews. Because the, the shepherds who are Hebrews were abomination to the Egyptians. So even when these boys came into the Egyptians' house, the Bible says, and the Egyptians sat on one table, and they sat on a, another table, and Joseph sat on a, another table. Okay? And verse 29, they start to eat. Okay? He pronounces, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw his brother Benjamin. His mother's son. And he said, is this your youngest brother? He knows it. He's asking. Of whom you spoke to me. And he said, what does he say to Benjamin? May God be what? Gracious to you, my son. That's like saying, like Paul saying to the whole of Corinth, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father. What is pronounced to the lad? Come on, talk to me. What is pronounced to the lad? Everyone say grace. There's a grace deposit upon the lad Benjamin. None of the other brothers get this well wish from Joseph but Benjamin. Right? And there's a Benjamin company arising. will become the recipients of great grace because they were willing to go down to the place of total obedience to the Lord. Amen? Total obedience to the Lord. Verse 34. Joseph filled their plates. Who'd like your plate full? Come on. Who'd like your plate full? Joseph filled, um, took portions to them from his own table. I like this. Not from the pantry. Not from the kitchen. How does he serve them? Whatever the servants gave him, he doesn't eat. He brings to the brothers. Right? And to, the Bible says, but Benjamin's portion was Five times as much of, I mean, these brothers must, you know, brothers can eat, right? Sitting at tables. What kind of favor is this now? Right? We got one T-bone. You got five T-bones. Right? We got one potato, five potatoes. Everything was five times. We got one, one glass of Mona's grape juice. You got five. Why is everything multiplied five times to you? What is five suggestive of? You know, it's a grace deposit. It's a grace expression. And the Lord said this to me. Come on, church. This is a prophetic word to us. The Lord says five times more now. And you can even take this to the bank literally as a literal five times. God says, I'm going to do things five times more for you. I don't say this often. You know I don't preach like this often. I'm hearing a prophetic stirring in my spirit. God says, such bountiful grace is going to be given to you to feed you, to nourish you, to sustain you. You will lack nothing. You're going to be full. Please note, it's the second year of the famine. There's five years of famine to go, but Benjamin is not in famine, even though he is in famine. I'm telling you, things are going to get bad in the world. Economic conditions are going to be like a desert all around you, but things could be vastly different for you. Come on, say it with me five times more. In fact, do this with your hands. Say five times. Come on, do this five times. In fact, high five someone and say five times. Right? That's a good high five. That's five times. I declare to you who are business owners, your business will not lack. But expect that, all of you, Who's in business here? Pick your hand up. Some form of business. Come on, pick your hands up. I declare to you, you will not lack. Yes. The Lord is saying to you, my son, my daughter, you are now seated with, and you're going to be fed with produce, not from the pantry, not from the kitchen, from Joseph's table will be given to you. It's going to be an expression of my grace to you. I break all lack over you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I break it now by my utterance in Jesus' name. The struggle financially that some of you are going through, it ends now in the name of the Lord. Five times more will be given to you. But it's given to a lad, not coming to anybody. It's given to this brother who says, for the sake of my brothers, notice Benjamin, 
for the sake of my brother's welfare, I will submit myself to certain principles, certain processes. Benjamin is not private. Benjamin is not personal. Benjamin is not introspective. Benjamin is not focused on himself. Benjamin is after the preservation of the brotherhood. And I'll show you later the preservation of his father. Lord, five times more. Come on, say it five times more. Five times more Benjamin receives. Verse, chapter 44, verse 33. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad. Joseph doesn't reveal his identity to them yet. And this is what God spoke to me. Don't be happy just with my provision, but you don't know my person. Five times more is good, you're bountiful, but never ever be on the receiving end of produce and you never ever come to know the source. They don't know it's Joseph yet. I mean, if you are good Pentecostal, you are Joseph or Benjamin sitting at the table, come on, are you happy or not? Are you smiling from ear to ear? Five times. But you know, that's all good and well, but that's not the ultimate. That's not the ultimate that God has for this group. They are going back now to their father. He still doesn't reveal himself to them. They're making their way back. And uh, to, to Papa. So he says, well, I'm holding Benjamin. Or you know the story. He sends them back and he puts his silver cup. Remember? He, he secretly puts his Pharaoh's cup, his silver cup, that the Pharaoh used for divination into Benjamin's sack. And they go away. The soldiers catch after them and says, one of you has stolen something from Joseph, from the Pharaoh. Judah re rebels. What? Your servants will never do anything after all the kindness shown to us. So they search all the sacks and they started with Reuben, the elders. The Bible says they went systematically down and they came to the lad and they found the silver cup in Benjamin's sack. Right? There was mourning that day. They all, Judah said, oh my God. I'm just paraphrasing, right? says, we are going to be slaves for the rest of our lives. And they come back. They be taken back to the house. Okay? Be taken back to the house. And then uh, uh, Joseph says to them that um, I'm, I'm going to keep one of you back because of this. The man who was guilty is Benjamin, so I keep him back. I'm going to imprison him. And when he said that, when he said that, this is Judah speaking. Judah. Everyone say Judah speaks. Judah is a spokesperson, the apostolic principle. Now, therefore, let your servant, let me remain instead of the, the lad. Judah has become the lad principle completely. I will take his place. Let the lad go up with his brothers back to my, my father. Next verse. How shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, he says. For fear that I see evil would overtake my, my father. I see evil would overtake my, my father. Now, Judah becomes the guarantee for the principle. And he says, I am going to seek to preserve the life of my father by securing the life of Benjamin so that my father might live. What is his ultimate? His ultimate priority is the life of Jacob. But I know he said, remember later on he said, do not keep this lad for the life of my father is bound up with the life of the lad. The lad dies, my father's dead. So I preserve the life of my father. But preserving the life of a father is to preserve the purpose vested in a father. Think with me, think with me. What if? Judah did not do this, and they kept Benjamin back. Do you know, if they went back, Isaac would have died immediately. His heart was so bereaved, so beset by sorrow, the announcement that Benjamin is no more, slave forever, would have killed Isaac, oh, sorry, Jacob. If Jacob died, do you know, we would not have Genesis 48 and Genesis 49. What are those two chapters? Those two chapters are just Jacob speaking prophetic destiny over each of the boys. So preserving the life of Papa is preserving the principle of the father 
that speaks the purpose of God configuring the destiny of sons. That is his priority. When I say, wash the hands of your father, I'm not saying serve me. I'm not saying help me in things I need to do. I'm, your priority should be wow. Because in this vessel, in this principle, purpose and the voice of God is, is amplified. So I will do everything in my power to preserve it. But do you know, every father wants to preserve all his sons. And if a brother preserves the life of a brother, that brother is demonstrating he's really preserving the life of his father. Right? in whom is vested um, uh, prophecies, okay? You'll find that in verse 30 of chapter 44. Chapter 45 and verse 6. There were still five years of the famine left. Not so? Everyone say still five years. And the Lord, the Lord spoke to me this, that you see, the sooner they got their act together, the quicker they would be, they would, they would secure principles that would, allow them to be preserved within the famine and the lord said to me act soon and, and don't wait for the famine to get so severe before you adjust your life simply put don't waste for things to worsen and don't wait for you to hit rock bottom where you now say god then take it all while you are still relatively reasonably okay despite severe need i say to you by the as the mouthpiece of the lord adjust now and don't wait for things to deteriorate to a level where you say now god i'll give you a chance now i surrender amen decide now um before it's too late let me close with one one principle because of time joseph could not control himself before those who stood by him when does joseph not control himself Joseph could not control himself when he saw Benjamin. He was still fine, composed, although at one time he excused himself. He wept like a baby in a room. The Bible says he refreshed himself and he came out together with his hard stance again. Right? But there was a point where he broke and he couldn't handle it altogether. And that was when Judah said, I'll stand guaranteed. You're not going to take my father's life. Let the boy go. Take me. For my father's life is bound up with the life of this lad. You see, Joseph is testing the brothers all the way, right? 22 some odd years ago, you were willing to kill me, sell me into slavery, wipe me off the face of the earth. But now you are changed. You're willing to give your life for the brother. When a few years ago, you were willing to sell him and kill him off. Things have changed. Come on, say it with me. Things have changed. And when Joseph saw Judah's commitment, he couldn't handle it. He weeps. And he said, have everyone out from this room. Go out. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. What is the face of Joseph? It's representative of the face of Jesus. You see, now they don't only, Benjamin is not only getting provision five times. Now he's seeing the person of the provision. Don't just be satisfied with the blessing, but know the blessor. Right? Many of us want to be the receiving end on God's goodness, but we don't know the God that is good. Right? The God that is good. Now, here's the last verse for you before you go. Genesis 45, verse 17. I mean, they reconcile. There's weeping. There's hugging. There's not in tears. Right? Everything is lovey-dovey, reconciliation. It's all good. Right? He takes them and he introduces them to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh was pleased to meet them, etc. Verse 17, the Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts in the land of Canaan and go to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best land in Egypt and you will eat of the fat of the land. How is that for a prophecy? Right? Now you are ordered. Tell him, someone you are ordered. And by the way, this is a good command. <laughs> this, this command you want to hear. You are ordered, do this. Take wagons. When you first left, you took sacks. Each man had a sack. But now each man take a wagon for himself. Right? Take a wagon from the land of Egypt for, for your little ones and your, and your wives. And bring your father and come. Verse 20. 
Do not concern yourselves with your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is now all yours. You know, the Lord just spoke to me so powerfully from this. From sack loads to wagon loads. Say it after me. From sack loads to wagon loads. You see, the lad principle is a key principle in economic breakthrough. And I like what he says. Now, guys, do not concern yourselves with things about eating, drinking, welfare, provision. Because Goshen, the land of Goshen, the best in the whole of the land of Egypt is now for the taking. It's all yours. I'm longing for the day when every household, every family, every person in this congregation doesn't concern themselves with goods anymore. Do not worry about what you shall eat, drink, or wear. I'm suggesting to us there's a quality of great financial breakthrough that God is going to lead us into. But it's going to require the embodiment of the lad principle. You must become a son of the commandments of the Lord. Come hell or high water, God, I'm going to obey you. I will even obey privately to ensure the welfare of brothers, to preserve the life of my father, that the purpose vested in and through him will will play itself powerfully in all of the earth. And you know what the word Goshen means? Approaching. Come near, it says. Approaching. Come near. Amen? Stand with me. Come on, church. You see, you thought five times was good, eh? <laughs> but there's a level beyond five times. Benjamin thought five times, but that was without knowing Joseph. Once Joseph's face is revealed... Joseph pulls out not just a table, but an entire land for everybody. Not just sacks of provision, but wagon loads. Not just for him privately now, but the Bible says for you, your wives, and your little ones. Everybody is being catered for. I know many of you want breakthrough for yourself personally. And I know the hearts of many, many of you, you also want breakthrough for your family. You want to act privately that breakthrough can come for the family. The son of the right hand, the lad, Benjamin, embodied this principle so powerfully. And he came into great breakthrough. Hallelujah. This anointing is upon us today, church. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and pray. I say to you by the Spirit of the Lord that never again will you concern yourself with goods. What to eat, what to drink, what to wear. Where is provision coming from? There is a place in God where things will reflexively, axiomatically, causatively come to you as a reflex action from God when He knows that you have become a son of His commandments. A son of His commandments. No pride, no hypocrisy, only truth. Loving the brothers, preserving the life and the purpose vested in fathers willing to go down, to lay it all down, so that God's will and purpose shall prevail for all of His people. This is our portion, Father. Thank You for this word. We receive the grace. Come on, lift your hands. We receive the grace attendant with this word today in Jesus' name. I receive it for myself. I receive it for my family. Receive it for my spouse. I receive it for all of my children. I thank you, O oh God, for the five times measure. Are we hear what Joseph said to, to Benjamin. My son, may God be gracious to you. God, that's our cry. Be gracious to this house. Be gracious. And we've known your gratuity. We've known your kindness. But now lead us even into knowing your face more, your, your person more. For as your, as your face is revealed, the wagon dimension of provision will be unveiled to us. Oh God, I ask that we would be Judas in the spirit, bent on preserving the lad principle in our world, willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. Oh God, that will turn your heart like it turned Joseph's. Move your heart like it moved Joseph's father in Jesus' mighty name. May the Lord bless all of you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. May the Lord give you 
his peace. May you be blessed coming in. May you be blessed going out. May your downsitting be blessed. Your uprising be blessed. Blessed in the city. Blessed in the field. Blessed shall be your offspring. And the generation of the upright will be mighty in the earth. The Lord declares to you today, I will lead you to the land of Goshen. I hear the Lord in my spirit even saying now, I'm speaking to the pharaohs of the day. I'm bringing the pharaohs to release lands, to release vaults of provision that will astound you. Do not be satisfied with your sack measure, declares the Lord, for I will give you wagon loads. I will give you bountiful provision. But the Lord says, come into the lat positions, my son and my daughters. Whatever I say, just do it. Just bend your knee to my commandment and see what blessing awaits you in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of, of praise and thanksgiving. Amen.